Dr. Laverton. Dr. Laverton, I hear your words today, and I am still grieved, and I am still enraged, because in public, you and your administration make flowery promises. You declare beautiful words. Just this past year at our missiological lectures, Dr. Laverton made a commitment publicly to do all that he can to dismantle white supremacy, to make change here at Fuller. And today, you and your administration speak again. And all I can say is that I pray to God that your intentions were completely pure on today. Because just three days ago, you did not give a substantial response to a black student concerns proposal that you've had since April. It is the third document that has been submitted to your administration in the last two and a half years. And you did not give any response about implementation of change. And in private conversations about your response, you gave excuses upon excuse upon excuse as to why nothing can happen. And I pray that your response today wasn't even an ounce of a PR buffer. I pray to Jesus that you mean every word that you say because God is not mocked by all of the hollow words that you have spoken over the years. We have experienced a significant black exodus of faculty and staff during Dr. Laverton's presidency. This is not a matter of the past. This is the past and the present. This is a current crisis, not to be mocked, not to be swept away, and not to be pacified. We are not pacified. God is not mocked. This is not a joke. The way we treat each other is the way we treat Christ. Jesus is not playing with his children. This is a seminary. For us to be a declaration to the world of racism is against the gospel of Christ. It is the spirit of the anti-Christ. It is a delusion of who Jesus truly is. And it is a disgust of the witness of God to this broken world that is already trying to search for answers in other places besides God. Things are going to get worse before they get better. Got down on his knees and gave his life to Christ. Because Americans are dreamers too. You're not in any moral position to tell anybody how corrupt they are. You should be quiet. Why? Why are our black sons and daughters being treated so badly? This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. I'm your host, your boy, Daniel White Hodge. Hey y'all, how you doing? What's happening? What's going on? Que esta pasando allá con mis amigos y amigas y todos? Ah, y'all didn't know. Some of y'all didn't know I spoke some Spanish up in there, did you? Oh my goodness. Well... I do. <laughs> well, how you doing this week? Um, man, a lot of stuff going on in the news these days. Uh, man, it's hard to keep up 
hard to keep up. Uh, we got the North Korea summit, which uh, we're going to break that down. I just had a good friend of mine, uh, Angie Hong, come through and she did what they what she wanted to call the Asian invasion of profane faith. So um, I'm going to be putting that together this next. Well, this week you're listening to uh, a, not, you're not listening to Angie Hong. So next week I'll have that up and have that going. Um, but uh, yeah, it, she uh, she spoke on that the whole North Korea South Korea thing. I don't want to take too much thunder from that, other than to say um, it's interesting just how the discourse is being uh, played out. Uh, we have this DOJ report, 500 pages, talking about now, um, you know how the the, the the Comey investigation, you know, essentially, you know, baffled this, and I mean, it, and it pays. Or baffled the, um, you know, the investigation, you know, when they were doing with Hillary and they got these text messages coming out. I don't doubt that any of that stuff happened. But here's the thing. The reality of it is, is that it happens all the time with people on both sides of the aisle, Republican and Democrat. I mean, it's not like the FBI is innocent. If any of you have been paying attention, which I'm sure a lot of you have, you know, the FBI uh, was on people like Malcolm and, and Brother Martin. And so, you know, these these organizations have long been, you know, against and, you know, but now when it's, you know, white on white, now all of a sudden, if you follow the narrative in the GOP, it's this right or it's this left wing conspiracy deep state, you know, uh, they're coming to take over our, our, you know, our country. They're not patriots. They are uh, people who want to see democracy dead. And Trump is the one that is trying to put everything back together. Now, for those of you who haven't heard that rhetoric or that discourse, uh, it's it's exactly what's happening on right-wing radio, right-wing television, right-wing on the internet. Uh, you know, because of my position as a researcher, as somebody who's interested in rhetoric and particularly how it engages with race, um, I have to listen to these. Um, you usually want to have an empty stomach and I'm not full and, and uh, you know, I've had me a cocktail or two, but, um, Nevertheless, this is the this is the narrative. And so you got to see that this is you got to keep a couple things in mind. Remember who the DOJ is, Department of Justice. Remember who's in there. Remember who runs that. So, I mean, at the end of the day, y'all, we we in some mess. We in some mess. And I, you know, I just don't know how to I'm, I'm trying to figure out what do I do as a black man, as an Afro Latino? What do I do? Right. How do I how do I, you know, live the change out? Like I get the the micro I get. Yes, I'm putting out my podcast. Uh, I got books. I got material I teach. And so I'm involved in that. I'm involved in my community. So I get that. I just feel sometimes I don't know if you all feel like this, but sometimes I feel like I'm not doing enough. And the impact that I'm having isn't great enough because a I'm not a millionaire. B, I'm not a white cis male. See, um, I don't have influence over, you know, over politicians and policymaking. And, you know, some people have told me, you know, Dan, you should go into politics. I'm like, look, mm -mm, I ain't doing that. I, <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, you know, if God, God would have to come down like with hands and like not just one hand, but like three hands and like write it on the wall, on the pavement, on the door, on everything, man, for me to be like, um, okay, yeah, it's time for, uh, you know, me to go into politics. There's no way I'm giving up a tenured position just for, you know, for nothing. You know what I'm saying? Come on now. 
But nevertheless, um, those are sometimes, that's the way I feel sometimes. I feel like, man, I am I really making that big of a difference? Is it just, am I just telling myself that, you know, I've made a difference and feel good about some of the, you know, the minor incremental changes uh, that have happened? So I don't know. Those are just some things that I think about, and you know, especially in this era that we're in, because it seems like the world is sold to the highest bidder. And I am trying to figure out what what that means and how that all comes together for somebody like myself. Now, I'm not necessarily broke, but I'm also not a millionaire. I mean, if I lost my job, we probably got enough money to keep us, um, you know, being you know, being transparent, to, you know, to keep us maybe for a, a couple of months. You know, um, but we, you know, we ain't got it like that, you know, and uh, sure, I've got retirement, 401k and all that good stuff like that. But at the end of the day, um, you know, I, I don't have that kind of money. If I'm out of work for six months or if I get like sick and I have to be out, those are some things, you know, that kind of keep me up, you know, sometimes at night. <laughs> oh, man, it's crazy world we're living in, y'all. It's crazy world. So those are some of the things that keep me keep that keep staying on my mind. Um, along with that, I think that kind of ties in with my guest this week. Uh, I told y'all last week that I was going to bring on a guest talking about Toxic Fuller, uh, Black and Seminary. I mean, you know, Black Exodus over at Fuller Theological Seminary. So I wanted to have that conversation. And so I had an amazing conversation with Dominique Robinson Coleman. Dominique is a student. She's an activist. She's an artist. She is someone who speaks truth to power. Uh, she's an African-American woman uh, out of Philly, Philadelphia. Let's hear it. Come on now. West Philadelphia, born and raised. I, I don't know about West Philadelphia, but she's from Philadelphia. Uh, she studied at Fuller. I'm not going to give away her entire story because, man, y'all got to hear this. And here's the thing. Um, you know, I teach uh, a doctorate of ministry course, a doctoral course, uh, a cohort for Fuller. So I'm still, you know, employed by them. I think my frustration, I, you know, and here's the thing, I genuinely love Fuller. Let me state that at the beginning. I genuinely like what Fuller has to offer. That being said, I have, you know, strong critiques about where it's been and what it's doing. It seems like every president or provost or somebody who, you know, is in charge, who is white and in charge and is a male, continues to say, oh, we got to change. We got to change. And change is coming. Change takes a long time. And I feel like as an ethnic minority, I've been hearing that forever since I came out the womb, right? And it's just, you know, it's it's irritating. It's frustrating that, you know, when you come down to it, it's like, well, how much longer do we have to wait? How much longer do we have to deal with this crap, right, that we're being shoveled? Now, I'm, you know, in all confession, when I got to seminary, when I got to grad school, I wasn't in a place where I had that wokeness yet. I hadn't reached that pinnacle where I was able to be like, well, wait a minute, why are we reading this? With that? You know, I was just learning. And for a while, I ain't going front. I mean, because I was learning about postmodernism, postmodernity. And for a while, it, it made me turn my back on the church, the black church, completely. I'm like, oh, yeah, they, yeah, that's the way it is. I remember having conversations in, in class and being like, yeah, that's exactly what the black church is. And don't get me wrong, I still have a critique and a discourse and interrogation of the black church, but I don't hate it. I actually love it. And that, in, that's what I feel like sometimes when you only read white philosophers, white theorists, white theologians that are continually critical about, you know, church. And, and then we equate that churchness, that paradigm and that discourse, then with all of Christianity, I'm sorry, but it placates a theology that just isn't true and whole. And that may be the case for some, 
but that is certainly not the case for everybody. So there's there are problems there. There are many problems. There, <laughs> there are problems that exist um, that be, with that. And so Dominique is sharing this story, her struggle. And I want to bring on some more voices because this is an ongoing thing. There was a, uh, a demonstration at Fuller um, in regards to, um, you know, uh, this this whole situation. So at baccalaureate, the students got up and I man, I couldn't support them even more. I mean, I'm like, man, I couldn't be happier. I'm so glad it's time that things like this get disrupted. Right. Because places like Fuller have been white and old for a long time. And, you know, quite frankly, I'd be honest, again, I'd love to send people to Fuller, but at the end of the day, places like Union, places like CTS, Chicago Theological Seminary, places like that are offering stronger connections to multi-ed Garrett, you know, to multi-ethnic theology. Uh, you got Garrett Seminary here in Chicago. You got um, a McCormick. Places like that are offering a much stronger connections to multi-ethnic uh, um, and multi multi-generational theological paradigms. Now, are they perfect? Of course not. But they have begun to figure out that we can't learn about God through all a bunch of European old white men. We just can't, you know, and this is a new age. If you haven't noticed, things have changed a lot. And part of the failure of places like Fuller is that they have yet to recognize that they're in hot water. Sure, this money situation that they're going in through right now is, is big. Sure, they understand that times are changing and sure the MDiv got changed, but do they really want to give power to an ethnic minority? Do they really want to give power that that person has control over policy, over deals, over how curriculum is, is done in, at, at, at the school? Are they willing to do that? And more importantly, are they willing to deal with their donor base and their alumni base that will come back with a ferocious bite to say, why is this happening? Right. Why is this going on? Especially when money's involved, you get a donor that's giving you a million dollars a year and they're already tripping. A lot of donors, like I've said before on this show, a lot of Christian donors are conservative and Republican. And they're not going to they're not going to be too happy when you have. Um, some kind of black person or some kind of Latinx or some kind of Asian, some kind of Native American up in there talking about, you know, critiquing white supremacy and white racism. They ain't gonna stand for that. Are you kidding me? Stop it. They want to, you know, a wholesome evangelical theology, you know. So I don't think Fuller's there yet. I don't think Fuller's ready to, to really to hear that. And that pains me because I went to school there. I mean, shit, I gave them all kinds of money. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Them tuition. Um, and I learned, I actually learned, I, you know, it really wasn't until I started my PhD that I really started to critically get into materials. So I learned, but at the end of the day, y'all, um, places like Fuller are having a reckoning. And until I'm telling you, yes, the money situation is big, but if you have not figured out and hear me and hear me well, white seminaries listening, if you have not figured out the whole race, gender, sexual orientation thing where you're just you know you're starting to i don't know i don't know let me tell you you are you on the chopping block you are on the chopping block when we get past this mess with trump because we will this too shall pass when we get past it this is this is something you know when the smoke clears we're going to see who is standing who has stood up who is who has been bold enough and i don't think fuller's bold enough yet i'll be honest i just will you know I, 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 and again, I say that at critique out of love, out of, out of a genuine care for my alma mater. 
I wanted to be better. I wanted to change. I wanted to be able to say, you know, hey, go to the West Coast. Fuller Seminary is really doing some great things. But man, wait till y'all hear Dominique's story. And this is just one story of many. Keep that in mind. Because the other argument is like, well, this is an isolated case. This is just, you know, what, for one person? No, this is going on, y'all. Dominique is an amazing voice. Uh, I met her, I believe, last year. We might have met before that, too. But I remember really getting to know her last year, um, 2017, uh, when I was down at Fuller for the uh, missiology lectures. I was down there speaking, and I met her. And we're on this text group called Keeping It 100. And, uh, y'all, that's probably one of the best groups that I'm a part of. It's all text. It's all people of color. And we just have conversations about everything race gender sex just making fun of folks uh not making fun of folks but you know having fun like you know just going in on 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 life and and the funny sides of life and so i've really appreciated that group um and that's been a great space and so she's part of that and she started posting i'll put some of these hashtags in the show notes i highly recommend that y'all go and, and 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 dig this up for yourselves um go check it out toxic fuller Look at hashtag Black Exodus. I mentioned some of these uh, these uh, hashtags last week in the show as well, but I'll put some of these in the show notes. And so I want you to go and and after you've heard Dominique, to really see what's going on because again, we are in a problematic time, and this time in particular is seeing a shakeup, particularly of Christian higher ed. And I'm glad. All for I'm all for one. I'm all for that. You know, as somebody who is teaching in Christian higher ed, I'm all for that because I look around in my school and I see a lot of ethnic minorities leaving, especially Black and Latinx folks. In fact, we're so low on Latinx folks, it's not even funny anymore. I mean, it's just that you can point Latinx folks out on you know on two hands, um, on one, oh, not even two hands, one hand, two fingers. <laughs> there you go. Um, man, y'all. So anyways, I don't want to take any more time. I just kind of wanted to set the setting. Um, I, this story is, is amazing. It's got a lot in there. I won't give it all away. You just got to get into it. I know I'm holding you up right now, but I just wanted to give y'all context for this. So, um, I'll put Dominique's, um, her, her contact material, uh, in the show notes. If you're listening, just know she'll explain why she's not necessarily responding to, to a lot of that, uh, you know, in the, in the interview that we do here in a minute. But, um, you know, I'll put it in there anyway, and you can reach out uh, and talk with her. And, I'm gonna, again, I'm still working on other voices, particularly the folks that were part of the protest and part of the disruption. I hope folks continue to disrupt um, and continue to shake things up. More power to them. Without any further ado, folks, here is Dominique and I talking about being black at Fuller. Check it. And out of the, the group chat. And I just read it and I was like, you know what? I don't have time for this today. I'm at capacity. Um, right. I don't, I don't have time to read another person, another white person doing white people things. So <laughs> I, I, just, I, don't, I don't have time for it today. So I said, I'm going to just finish moving in, finish getting my stuff straight. Yeah. And then I'll come back and engage maybe later on today or tomorrow or possibly just never engage with that at all. Right. 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 No, absolutely. Yeah, it's not it's not beneficial to me at this point. It's just not. No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, it. uh, Yeah. Well, and that's and and that's really where a lot of these conversations, you know, end up. It just it just becomes non beneficial to 
right. your health, your mental health, just the, the, I know for me, just sometimes even the anxiety of, you know, like, okay, are they going to call? Are they going to email? Is this going to go to the provost right. or whatever? It's right. just, and I'm just like, I don't need that crap. I feel the same way. Um, I felt even when I was, you know, dealing with or writing the thread with all the hashtags, there was like a level of anxiousness that arose and I already deal with anxiety disorder and, you know, mental, mental health issues. And I was just like, do I really want to go through this again with the, the new provost, Dr. Laberton and all these other uh, senior level admin? Do I really want to do this again? But then I, then I said to myself, you know, it, it needs to be talked about as many times as possible because they're not getting it. So yeah. I will, I'll deal with it, but I'll, I'll deal with it on my own terms this time. Like I'll talk about it and, and deal with, you know, people at, at the, the school that don't get it. Like I, we just got into something on Facebook with somebody that didn't get it this morning. I said, I'll deal with them when I, when I feel like I need to, when I don't, I'm going to step back because it's, it's, it's beneficial for my mental health to, to step back. I don't need to always be engaged. Right. You know, mm -hmm. and it's and it's long overdue. I mean, the, this conversation is you know fifty five plus years in the making. I mean, of of seminary, you know, just just blatantly ignoring us. So, all right. Well, Dominique, uh, thank you for coming on the show here, Profane Faith. It's great to have you. Thank you for having me. I, I appreciate uh, the opportunity. Absolutely. So, I mean, let's just hop right in. I mean, this is this has been an ongoing thing. What um. What has, for you and your experience, what has been your experience, particularly either at Fuller or maybe you've been at another seminary? I mean, what has been your experience of being black at all white seminaries? Ooh, um, so Fuller <laughs> is the, yeah, that's a lot. It's a lot to unpack. Uh, Fuller is uh, the only seminary that I've attended. I went to an undergraduate uh, white evangelical school. Okay. I experienced a more so implicit bias, not really explicit, not really telling me like, oh, we don't like you because you're black. Uh -huh. um, so it, it, I caught it, but it wasn't as deep as Fuller. Fuller, it was full blown. Um, it was explicit and implicit. Okay. Um, from my interactions with a particular professor, which I wrote um, on my Twitter feed about seminary while black, um, and, and just the egregious things he said, um, then dealing with two in incidents that I actually had an investigation done, wow. um, dealing with the racism of um, one particular student and a professor. And then I found out about the systemic issues um, of racism that have been going on at Fuller for years, way before I even got there. Right. So it... It, it was just me finding out, oh, now I'm a part of the historical narrative of black people that attend, attend this particular seminary. So it, it, was, it was shocking. Um, I didn't expect it. Um, and it, it's, it's, been a, it's been a ways that I've had to, to travel along this road mm. um, to, to kind of find sanity for myself and peace for myself because it was a toxic environment. Wow. Well, yes, and that and that was one of the the hashtags, you know, toxic fuller um, mm -hmm. and whatnot. And so, I, what? Well, let me just ask this. I mean, what what drew you to Fuller, you know, to begin with? Well, I was looking for a school um, where I could major in or do a concentration in African American Church Studies or Black Church Studies. Okay. Um, my goal or dream was to be a, a Christian Studies professor, but specifically dealing with African American religious traditions. 
Um, and I looked at several schools. I'm originally from Philly, so I looked at schools in my area. Um, and I looked at some schools across the, you know, across the country and Fuller really stuck out to me, um, cause they had Dr. The curriculum just looked robust. It looked like I could learn a lot, uh, just from attending the seminary. So, you know, I filled out an application, uh, applied, did all my, uh, letters of recommendation and all that got sent, was accepted, hitched up my wagon, like the Beverly Hillbillies, <laughs> moved from Cali to Philly and got there and discovered that the African-American church studies program was now defunct. Mm. Um, so it was, it was me reading the website and realizing, oh, this is not, you know, what you're saying on the website is not how you're practicing mm-hmm. and implementing your programs at Fuller. Yeah. So there was a, you know, a, a lag between me starting that concentration. I started my MDiv program, um, but it was a lag between me starting the concentration. Uh, the Black Seminarians Council, a group of students and other students that weren't affiliated with the Black Seminarians Council came together and, you know, called attention to where is the the African-American studies curriculum. And there was a town hall meeting that addressed it. And I think by spring of 2016, the program was now up and running again. Okay. Um, so that's what led me to Fuller, um, to, to actually get the the education that I wanted to be impactful in academic in an academic space. Yeah, you know that's that's interesting that you know I'm I'm so glad you brought that up because that's one of the things I know um I've been pretty critical about, you know, particularly you know what websites look like, you know what what is the right. public image, right? You know of these right. environments. I know I had a friend of mine when I was at Fuller cuz you know I I was there and and I remember they used her picture for everything. And in in long <laughs> after she had graduated, she was African American. Um and mm-hmm. long after she graduated, I remember there was like 3 years after I graduated somebody was um getting a hold of me in Michigan. And they were like, hey, you know, I saw your picture in the thing. And I was like, wait a minute, well, I, I ain't been in Fuller for like three years. And they're like, oh, well, a new brochure came out, you know. And I was like, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. So, I mean, there's oh that whole gosh. thing, the, the pookieizing right. of, of of black students, like, oh, you know, this seminary helped everybody. But, you know, and that's and that's across the board. I know that's not just solitary to to to, to Fuller. Um, but I know I had problems with the African-American, just 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 even the sign being in the right place the entire mm-hmm. time that I was there. I think by the last couple of years that I was there at Fuller, they finally got the sign right. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I mean, so when you first got there, you found out it wasn't, did you talk to anybody? Did you engage with anyone? Um, you know, how did, how did that, you know, how did that break down? You know, once you were like, this ain't, this ain't what the brochure said. Right, right. This is, this is not what I signed up for. You know, what am I doing here? I got, I moved my whole life to, to figure out this wasn't here. Yeah. Um, I ended up speaking to uh, my advisor, who was Latina Williams, um, and actually talking to her about, you know, what I could possibly do to make sure I got the education that I wanted, even though the concentration didn't exist. Um, and so she helped me out a great deal in picking out classes before they even started the program again. Um, I know Dr. Joy Moore was still there. Um, at the time, and she was the person that would be now leading the, I believe, the Pinnell Center and the African American Church Studies program. Okay. So she was integral with um, working with, from what I know, working with uh, the Black Seminarians Council and students to try to get this movement uh, for the concentration to to be started again. Um, and there was a letter, I believe, sent to the school from Black students asking for a proper dean for the Pinnell Center. Um, and asking for the concentration to be restarted. So that was a part of the, the, 
the movement to reintroduce the the idea of an African American church studies concentration back in, back to students and back into the MDiv and MAT programs. Okay. What, as you were there at Fuller, what, how were some of the classes? I mean, what, you know, curriculum wise, you know, folks you were reading, um, uh, you know, professors, uh, you know, assignments, all that kind of stuff. How did, what was your experience like, you know, uh, there? Well, I will say because I took classes that would be within my vein or my area of interest before the concentration even came up. So the classes I took, I took a uh, Hock Jun Lee's uh, Martin Luther King class. So it was Cone, Malcolm X. Nice. Um, I had, you know, a plethora of black canon of black theologians and black religious scholars to read from. Um, and it didn't feel like I was lacking because I had that class as my first introduction to Fuller. Um, but afterward, after that class ended and going into other spaces, it was pretty much like, oh, I have to introduce my you know, my ideas and, and my uh, religious thought and where I derive my um, my theology from, I have to introduce those scholars in these classrooms. Um, and that I wasn't expecting. I expected at seminary for it to be a well-rounded curriculum where it wasn't just, a, mm. you know, require a recommended reading, you know, this one Black person that you can probably read from or this one Latino person that you can probably gain something from as a recommended re- uh, reading. I expected it to be required. So that was a big part of the push for the Black Seminarians Council to get the school to redo the um, the curriculum write-up or the course write-up, course content, and make required reading African-American theologians and other Black scholars instead of just putting it in the recommended reading. And mm-hmm. that honestly mm-hmm. pushed the envelope because most professors didn't think that you know, they had to incorporate other voices instead of just white, male, heterosexual uh, theologians and scholars. So that, yeah, that was a lot. No, oh, well, I mean, I think, and that's, I mean, that's such a a big, I mean, a big thing, right? I mean, because that's, that really is the, I mean, if we're using like food terminology, that really is the flavor of right. your experience, right? Who you read, what you get into, um, I mean, I know from my experience when I was there at Fuller, I, it was, um, it, it almost, because at the time I was there in the early two thousands. And so, you know, at the time people were all into this postmodern thing and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, and I'm a, I'm a student, I don't really know anything from, from that's why I'm coming to school. I'm trusting you, right. the professor to, to teach me. And so I, I felt like my first couple of years at Fuller, it really, I almost turned my back completely against the black church because it was like so mm. lumped in and because I was getting all these and it wasn't really until I started digging in and actually research. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious. And what then has been your, 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 your other point? Well, but even before I ask that, what are some of the specifics? Cause I know there was some specifics on that happened on that class and I'm not laughing other than I'm just saying mm-hmm. that I'm not laughing at that other than I'm saying like it's 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 surmounting and I know I definitely want to get to the point or to the part you know the disruption at, at the baccalaureate um I think that was awesome um mm-hmm. but I know you talked about you know one of the the tweets you had was you know each person who violated my federal rights remains employed at Fuller Seminary or was given the opportunity to resign um you got some title nine yeah. stuff in there what yeah. If you don't mind sharing about that. And again, I, you know, feel free to be like, nah, I ain't going to share that. I'm just, again, I'm just, I just wanted to just give this all a, a platform to expose mm-hmm. this stuff. 
Um, understood. And I'm I'm open to talking about all of it. I mean, there's for Fuller to attack me at this point would probably be against his best interest. Um, yeah. Because yeah, that that just wouldn't make any sense to me. Um, I'm not welcoming any attack from them, but I think it just wouldn't make any sense. Um, but I've had three major racial incidents um, that involved myself and a person that was being oppressive or, you know, oppressive and racially discriminatory or just flat out racist. Yeah. Um, and only two of them were reported because Fuller, I don't know about any other seminary, but Fuller has a very... Um, interesting complaint process and the complaint process isn't readily available to students um it isn't accessible i should say isn't easily isn't it can't be easily accessed by students um and i learned that during the during the first incident that i reported so um the first incident that i reported um i attended a black lives matter rally on September 30th, uh, a man by the name of J.R. Thomas was killed by the Pasadena Police Department. And I, he was killed around the corner, not too far away from my home. So I attended the vigil, which turned into a rally. And during the rally, we were instructed to block an intersection. Um, while blocking the intersection, hmm. a man in a yellow Jeep um, gets out of his car, starts making eight gestures and noises. Um, then gets back in his car and attempts to ram his Jeep through the protest, what? through the protesters and crowd. Oh, yeah, there's there's a video of this, um, and I can send it to you. Um, in the video, you can see me and you can hear me yelling. I don't know if I can curse on this. Uh, you let it go. It's profane faith. Shoot, let it go. <laughs> All right. Shoot. So on the in the video, you can hear me saying, "Let his ass go. Let his ass go." And it was me talking to the other protesters I was with saying, let him keep going. Let's keep finishing our protests. Don't let him distract from the movement that is happening. So after that ended, I went home, went to sleep. Tuesday came October 4th. Mm. I'm sitting in my homiletics class and my, ho- my voice is still very hoarse and raspy from the protests. And so I raised my hand and told my professor, hey, I can't really participate today because my voice is out. And she says, you know what, Dom, it's okay. Just, just do what you can. The end of class, I stay in the classroom because my students, I'm a teacher, had made cards for J.R. Thomas's family. So I'm assembling the cards, about to deliver them to someone to take to J.R. Thomas's family. A student comes up to me and says, hey, you were at the uh, Black Lives Matter protest? I said, yeah, I was at the Black Lives Matter protest. He said, I've been to one before, and this is what they did to me. Hmm. He takes his hand, and he forms it into the shape of a gun with a pulled trigger, and he holds it to my head. What? Wait. And... Yes, this was in an empty classroom at Fuller Seminary, I believe in Peyton. I believe that's the, yes, I believe it's Peyton. And he held it to my head. And so I backed up and I said, uh, Black Lives Matter is a peaceful organization. Like, we're, we're not about that life. I don't know what you're talking about. And so then he begins to drill me on the protest and what happened. And while he's doing this, his body language, he begins to encroach my space. So I back up, I continue to back up and to the point where my back is to a wall. And he is wow. still physically in my in my space. And he says, you know, I heard that something happened to protests. I said, yeah, a guy in a yellow Jeep attempted to, you know, run over protesters and, you know, was doing some craziness. He said, oh, I have a yellow Jeep. He said, if you see it, just know it wasn't me. I said, brother, I'm, it's not a witch hunt. I'm not looking for anybody. That's not in my business. He said, just know if you see it, it wasn't me. I said, okay, we leave. I go downstairs to my car. His car is parked directly across the street from mine. 
And I look at his Jeep and I said, that looks exactly like the Jeep. So oh, I go, no. oh, so no. I go to, to my advisor's office and I tell her, you know, this, this happened. I have these cards for the kids. And she said, do you know they have a video of the guy who ran through the protest? And because she was there, she was in, you can see her in the shot wow. of the video. She could have wow. been killed as well. Wow. Um, and I said, no, I said, let me see it. So she starts playing it. And it is the face of the guy who had just confronted me in the classroom. Lord Jesus. And I flipped out. I said, that was a threat. I can't believe this. Y'all need to get somebody on the phone. So my advisor starts calling everybody. She calls her boss. She calls the, the former provost, Dr. Green, Joe Green. She calls Dr. Yamaguchi's office, who's the former dean of students. And she's trying to get a hold of somebody to, to hear, like, this is a fuller student that did this at a protest. And from there, it just happened. It just went in a whirlwind. I was taken to... Um, I think the director of call and discernment, I believe that's the name of the office, to give a statement to her. I was taken to Dr. Yamaguchi's office, you know, students. And when I got to his office, I could tell it wasn't being taken as seriously as I thought mm. it was going to be. Mm -hmm. It mm -hmm. was, okay, fill out this form. Like, I'm, I'm sitting there livid, shaking. And I'm like, this man knows what I look like. He knows I know what his car looks like. He, he made his hand into the shape of a gun and held it to my head. And I just held it to my head. He pointed it directly square at my forehead and his finger touched my head. I'm like, this is a threat. This is, this is my safety is involved here. And Jeez. it was just, you know, fill out this form. And the sooner you fill it out, we'll be able to start the process. So I said, okay, I take yeah. the form, a form. Yes, this is the complaints. Again, the complaints form is readily available only when you know how to access it. So the typical student doesn't know how to, to access a complaint form. Now, when I say complaint, it's uh, against complaints against community standards, which is Fuller's policy of how students and staff and faculty should conduct themselves on campus. So he gives me the form. I, you know, go to fill it out. I had called a friend who went to another seminary in Philly, and I said, I'm going to send you a video, and I'm going to send you a an email, a letter. I'm sending this to the dean of students, and I ran down the list of people I was sending it to. I said, hold on to it. Just hold on to it. I just want you to read it and hold on to it. Well, I write this letter when I get home. I, you know, blind copied a lot of staff members and faculty members, but the directly the letter was directly sent to Dr. Mark Laberton, the president of Fuller, uh, Dr. Joe Green, who was the provost and dean of dean of School of Theology, and Dr. Yamaguchi, who is or who was the uh, dean of students at Fuller. And I send the letter and I blind copied my friend. And between that night when I laid down and the morning when I woke up, our communication between myself and my friend got mixed up. So she released the letter on Facebook. Oh, wow. And the video along with the letter. Okay. The video of the student, you know, running through the intersection with his car and making eight gestures. And the video circulated with my letter attached to it all the way up to Sean King. Who is the who is the writer? One of the writers for the New York Daily News. Yeah, yeah. And he covers a lot of you know race and uh, discriminatory issues. And he tagged Fuller and said, "Okay, Fuller, what's up with this?" And I think when I woke up that morning, I had about fifty emails like <laughs> Dominique, come to my office. And it was. And yeah. when I look back at it in retrospect, I said, had she not done that, I don't know if Fuller would have taken it seriously. Absolutely. Had they not yes. gotten the amount of press and attention they had gotten on social media, I don't know if they would have 
even taken this seriously. So, you know, I went to, um, I had done some other things outside of Fuller, you know, for my, to ensure my safety and protection, like getting a restraining order and all that. Um, but when I was coming back, I remember Dr. Yamaguchi wanted to get a hold of me really badly. I was coming back to my house and he called me and he said, Dominique, would you mind if uh, myself and you and Latina, who is my advisor, Latina Williams, yeah. and Janelle, who's the director of operations at the Pinnell Center, he said, do you mind if we all get together with the other student and hear his side of the story? And I said, um, I, I think that would be against my best interest. And I'm very cautious. And, and I want to know why you think that that would be a good idea to bring me in the, in the same room as someone who threatened me and threatened right. my safety. Right. And he said, well, you know, just think about it. And we hung up that call. Hours later, I'm, I'm with Janelle, and he calls her, and she says, you know, do I have permission, your consent to say I'm with you? I said, sure. So they talk, and she says, um, Dominique, Dr. Yamaguchi wants to meet you on campus. I said, you know, what for? She said, he just wants to talk to you. Do I have your permission to say we'll go? I said, sure. Tell him we'll be there. So we get to Fuller, go to his office. And he says, you know, Dominique, Dominique, I've been talking to the other student and I just want you to hear his side of the story and hear, you know, what's going on and how how he's been feeling about all of this. And wait, I, I yes. So I, I paused <laughs> because I, I couldn't believe what was happening. Oh. And then I said, you know what? OK. And he said, do you mind if I call him? And put him on speakerphone so you can you can hear what he has to say. The man tried to run over people. Okay, all right, all right. Let me let me let you finish. So I said, I said to myself, I said, we need to hear how common he has been and what the type of communication style he's been using. Like, is he coming to him from a very authoritative, like I'm the dean of students perspective, or is he talking to him like he's a friend? Because then that shows you all you need to know about this situation, Dom. So I'm I'm thinking about this yeah. in my mind. I said, you know what? call him yeah so he calls the student and he says hey and he says his first name this is dr yamaguchi he calls the student by his first name he said i'm here with dom and i said so he's been discussing me and using my name so the student can easily identify me and he can come find me and do whatever he wants to me this is a direct violation of my safety so that and he allows the student to tell his story and dr yamaguchi starts crying and it was a very emotional moment for the both of them because they were talking about how both of them suffered with PTSD, which I don't make light of because I suffer from PTSD, but it just yeah. wasn't the time and place for that type of conversation. Right. So I stormed out of the office. I got mad. Um, hours later, came back to, to myself and just realized that I had been violated by a person, a senior level administrator who was supposed to ensure my safety and protection um, academically, spiritually, and, and physically. And he just violated that. Um, and so when word got down, you know, throughout the senior level administration of what had happened between us, suddenly Fuller can't talk about it. They said it was FERPA. FERPA barred them from, uh, from speaking about this at length because it protects, it's an act that protects our grades from being disclosed and yeah. all, of our, yeah. um, all of our information from being disclosed. And then they said, this is also protected by Title IX. Title IX is an act or, you know, a federal act that protects, um, that's supposed to ensure that you are not discriminated against because your, sexu your, your sexuality and gender, I believe it's sexuality or gender, I'm unsure. And so I went along with it because I didn't know. I said, okay, if we can't talk about it, we can't talk about it. 
Then I find out later that Title IX really, do, really doesn't give weight to my situation at all. It really has no bearing on my situation. Mm. So I said, well, if it has no bearing on my situation, then what is, what title are we supposed to be using? What, what right protects me? Right. And I, you know, I started to, to ask questions. And the more I asked questions, the more I became very secretive. And then the more meetings were had about me. And then they decided, well, we need to launch an investigation. And when they finally launched this investigation, you know, their lawyers came. And I, I'm sitting there by myself because I, I'd taken a friend with me and she happened to be a lawyer, but I just wanted her in the room. They said, well, we have to get our lawyers now. So it turned into this big issue that I said, I just wanted justice. I just want the student expelled. I don't want to, to have to endure fighting with you while I'm in class. Like, I'm taking, I'm taking a full course load at this time. So I have to deal with class, go to work, and fight you guys. It was just, it was a, it was a situation that I did not want to be in. Good night. So well, let me ask this real quick. I mean, so and what mm -hmm. was the police? Were the police involved at any point? Law enforcement? I mean, this, this is like a threat. I mean, the guy is running a car. I, I, I just want to ask, like, what, where, where was that at at this point? Or maybe you didn't want to get him involved. No, they were involved, and this is when the story gets really interesting. So the day, <laughs> the day, um. The day where all this happened in the classroom, which was October 4th, I went to the Pasadena Police Department with a, two of my friends, two of my close friends. And I told, you know, the police officers, apparently the police station was shut down, but they were still seeing different people. that I wanted to file, file a police report. And they said, you know, what do you want to file a police report about? And I said, well, at a Black Lives Matter rally the other day, um, you know, I was you know, confronted. There was a Jeep, a man almost ran, you know, over people. And I started to explain the story. And before I could even finish the story, they heard Black Lives Matter rally and they knew it was connected to the death of J.R. Thomas, who was killed by law enforcement, by the Pasadena Police Department. Right. So they shut down. They didn't want anything to do with it. They left me outside for about, I want to say about an hour and a half, oh. um, where they did not want to touch it. They didn't want to touch me. And it took my friend calling his pastor, who was a part of uh, a committee that involves the um, police as well as community leaders and, and different people in the community. Um, it took him calling his pastor for them to actually come outside and talk with me. And even when they, even when the officer came to me, he was very informal. He didn't take parts of my story. He didn't even write my name down. And he, it, it was a, it was a lot that happened where I was like, oh, well, maybe I can't trust the police in this situation. Right. Um, what, who else can I trust? And it, it started a, a whirlwind even with that. And I just remember calling my dad and telling my dad about this. And he said, it's one thing to have an issue with Fuller. It's another thing to have an issue with the police. Leave the police alone because I need you to come home. I need you to be safe. And I heard what he said and I, and I dropped it with the police. Um, the only other interactions I had was trying to request my police report, which I didn't get for months. I didn't get my police report for months. It took a very long time. And usually they're available within two weeks or even shorter than that. Wow. Um, but I just, I didn't want to stir up any trouble with them because, again, I wanted to make it home. I wanted to be able to fly back to Philly for Christmas. I didn't want to have to endure anything with the police. Yeah. But they were involved. Um, and it took a lot of patience on my part. And it took a lot of me having friends that have friends in high places for the police to actually do something. Okay. Um, and I did fill out a restraining order. I did go to court for the restraining order. 
Um, and that part is where Fuller comes back in um, because they were actually, they actually came to the court, um, court hearing for my uh, restraining order. Um, I didn't know they were there until I saw uh, Dr. Yamaguchi's face and another woman by the name of Teresa Lewis, who I didn't know at the time. She's the compliance Title IX director. Okay. She's the person that makes sure Fuller follows all of its uh, regulated, federally, federally regulated um, titles to ensure, you know, the school is not acting in a discriminatory way. And I ended up losing my, um, my case for having a restraining order because he denied putting his hand in the form of a trigger in the shape of a gun to my head. He denied Lord. it over and over again. And then the officer asked him, or not the officer, excuse me, the judge asked him, did you have your hands up at any point? He said, I can't remember. And so it was, by the time we got to the nitty gritty bare details of it, the judge said, you know, at this point, I want to believe you, but it's he said, she said at this point, you don't have proof, but he's completely denying it. But going back to the police report, he admitted it. When I got it months later, he admitted to making uh, making the gesture and putting it to my head for me to feel unsafe. So again, Fuller's in the courtroom. I had no idea. Um, when I get to campus the next day, I'm taken into a, a several other meetings and investigation hearing. And the other student was taken as well. He was, he was involved in, in this process. Um, but unfortunately, he was able to make the school see him as a victim. Um, again, he has PTSD. He went, I think he served in Iraq or Afghanistan, and he, you know, said he served in the military and he came back damaged and broken. And, and the school saw that as, from my perspective, they saw that as something that they didn't want to touch because they have a lot of conservative donors. And when you hear somebody is serving the military, you want to give them all the honor and, you know, nobility as possible. Right. So they didn't want to touch that. But in my mind, I said, this man is saying he served in the military. He was a sniper. Like, what is stopping him from right. coming to this campus right. and shooting anybody, including me? What is stopping him from doing that? Um, so that that entire process went on um, until about January. And then I confronted uh, Teresa Lewis, the director of compliance, and I asked her, why does Dr. Laberton, why is Dr. Laberton continuing to say that this is a Title IX situation? What is the real issue here? And so she said, it's not a Title IX situation. I can't answer why he's continuing to say this, but this is a Title VI situation, meaning this is happening to you or you are facing discrimination due to your race, not your gender. So Fuller was afraid to talk about race. They were afraid to admit we are having an issue on our campus that involves a white student and a black student. And this black student has been threatened and, and her safety has been violated because she's black, not because she's a woman. And so it, it just put me in the space that they're afraid to talk about race. So how can they hmm. even prepare me to go into the world and preach the gospel to other black people when they don't even want to confront the issues that black people have to deal with on a daily basis. Right. So it, it continued to go on. I believe I received my last letter. Um, and I have several documents. I can send them to you. Um, my last letter from Fuller regarding the situation where an investigation committee handed over their notes and their, um, their, their conclusion to the Dean but unfortunately, the dean was both the provost. So the dean was Dean uh, uh, Joel Green, School of Theology, and he was mm -hmm. also the provost. 
So they had to create, an, he had to create an allowance to give the dean, I believe his dean responsibilities to another person who could execute judgment because the provost handles the appeals. So it was a situation where he just had too much power and had to delegate his authority. So when he delegated his authority, a different person then comes into the picture. And I don't even know who this person is to this day. I've never had a class with him. Um, but he made a ruling that due to the evidence that he was given and due to the, the report from the investigation committee, that there was no violation of Fuller's community standards, um, but that the student should seek counseling and shouldn't be able to return back to campus until, what was it? I think it's the fall of the following year, the winter of the following year. Um, so it, 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 it was a situation where they never expelled him um, because I was told that Fuller believed in restorative justice. Um, and they just allowed him to, allowed him and other people who thought like him to continue to hold space on campus. And they didn't make any solid effort to make sure I was okay. It took the black community and non-black people of color on Fuller's campus and white wow. allies to say, Dom, are you okay? Wow. Dom, you know, are, what are you doing? I have a friend in the registrar's office and he said, Dom, do you know that you can withdraw from classes? Do you know you can drop classes? Because I was failing everything. I was in meetings almost every other day of the of the quarter. So he said, Dom, you can drop classes. No one, no one instructed me about this. No one told me this. No one told me that there is a, a, a process where you can receive counseling um, if you go through a traumatic event on Fuller's campus. Um, I had to ask myself, like, can I get counseling? Um, can I withdraw from a class? Can I drop a class? What will happen to my scholarships if this does happen? So it was me doing all the groundwork, me doing all the legwork to, to find out what, what justice I could get in spite of them not giving me real justice. Right. Um, and the violation of my, my, um, my rights when it comes to HIPAA happened with Teresa Lewis. Um, I was leaving leaving class, going to work. And she called me and she said, Dominique, I know we're paying for counseling, um, but I need to know if you're talking about something that is directly related to your incident. Because if you're talking about anything else that's not related to your incident that happened with the school, then we can no longer pay for counseling. So tell me, what are you talking about? And I froze because I'm on my way to work. I'm in the parking lot. And I, I just, I said... I'm talking about things that concern the incident. I'm having anxiety attacks and panic attacks still. Um, my asthma is stress-induced and stress-related. So, yes, I'm having an asthma attack due to this, not knowing that she is violating my rights and I don't actually have to give her an answer. Um, and it wasn't until I called my friend who works for the Department of Human Services in, in Pennsylvania, and she said, oh, no, she can't ask you that. That's a violation of your rights. You can never ask someone what they're going through and what they're talking about in counseling. That can never be disclosed or revealed. Jeez. And so then it dawned on me, like, at every turn, they have made it impossible for me to even feel safe as a student, whether it's my rights, whether it's my body, even spiritually. How can I feel safe on a campus that will not protect me or refuses right. to protect me? So that was just the, the first incident that I reported. That's Jeez. not even the second incident. And that still had lingering effects because the first incident, because I became known as the student that wore the scarlet letter. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, right. Who, right. Who wants to touch me? Who wants to teach me at this point? Who wants me to be in their class? Because I look like I look like a troublemaker. I look like a whistleblower. Um, there were professors that 
were told they could not speak to me about the situation. And so a lot of them stopped speaking to me altogether um, because they said, well, you know, they told us about FERPA and they told us about Title IX and they made us, there, there was actually a meeting where, where professors were frightened into not speaking to me. Um, because, you know, they were, it was just, oh, Title IX, FERPA, we can't talk to Dom about the situation. And it, it, was, it was to the point where they stripped me away from all of my help, and the only two people that helped me on the campus was Janelle Austin, director of operations of the Pinnell Center, mm-hmm. and Latina Williams, my advisor. And when you look at their titles, what institutional power do they hold to actually help me get justice? Janelle, yes, maybe. Yeah. But Latina's an advisor. Right. So you strip me from anyone that has tenure. You take away anyone that has legitimate power that can execute change on my behalf. And you leave me with people that you know can't, they can only do but. Yeah. Their job well, but they can only do but so much. So I was isolated within a community and it was only students and a few students that were allies and and that 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 sought sought me out and said Dom we're here for you had it not been for the students that sought me out and and you know risk their their scholarships and risked their um their course load to actually come and help me and Latina and Janelle I I would have left then um I would have packed my bags and went home then and in retrospect it's probably what I should have done um it's probably what I should have done because then I wouldn't have gone through the second incident. Wow. What well, man, I'm <laughs> I'm just blown away. I mean, I I knew bits and pieces of the story. I did I did not know this the the full canon of what transpired here. I mean, this is this is horrendous. I mean, this is oh my gosh. Uh, and and there's a lot when I say there's a lot more that I could divulge and go into, but we just don't have the time. Um, But I will say, I wrote an open letter to Fuller and I posted it on the quad in November. Mm -hmm. I posted it also on Facebook. And that letter got so much attention from Fuller alum, um, Fuller students and Fuller staff and faculty that that is the first time I heard Dr. Mark Labberton's voice. And I realized he called me and asked me, you know, Dominic, are you okay? And how have you been? And that was in November. This incident happened October 4th. Okay. All right. So I realized what makes the institution move is bad press. Oh, it doesn't yeah. matter. doesn't matter, you know, what you cry loud and spare not from within the community. Like, it doesn't matter if you have a prophetic voice. I mean, it matters, but when you want to make institutional change and have impact, it doesn't matter if you're yelling on the top of you know, the, the steps where they have chapel. That doesn't do anything. Once the institution gets bad press, then everyone wants to move. Um, and even when Dr. Laberton called me, it was a very lackluster conversation um, where he offered me an apology. And I said, I would pretty much like an apology from the institution, a public apology, not you calling me at nine o'clock at night um, to, to whisper in my ear, I'm so sorry this happened to you, Dominique. That doesn't, exactly. that doesn't serve me. Exactly. It doesn't serve me. It doesn't clear my name. That does nothing. Um, and again, there's, there's a lot more I could go into. Um, but for lack of time, I'll probably just send you the documents so you can read through them. Man. And oh my gosh, 
What, um, how far along are you in your program? And I guess, I mean, the next question to that then is, you know, are you returning to Fuller or are you planning to go to another school? Well, I switched after the second incident, I switched my degree to MAT so I could finish in two years. Okay. Um, and, and I, no, actually I did it before I did it before the second incident and I was contemplating it, but then I said, you know what, let me just sign the paperwork. Signed the paperwork, the second incident happened, and I said, I can't take this anymore. Um, I made the decision to leave, and I found out they recalculated my degree. I only have three classes left. So I'm completing that this summer, and I'll finish with Fuller in August. Um, okay. But if I could transfer, I would. I attempted to. I looked at other schools, schools that i already been accepted to in, in Philadelphia, yeah. And I would have to start completely over. Yeah. And man. all of that money, all the debt would yeah. just be a waste. Right. And I just, I, I made the decision, after, especially after they told me, you know, you only have three credits left. They are three classes left. They, in the beginning, I thought I had 16. Now I only have nine. So I said, you know what? I'll just finish up the nine and I'll deal with it. Right. I'll be okay. Right. No, I know what you mean. And that's, you know, that's one of the burdens of just, you know, have, you know, graduate education is, you know, it's not like an undergrad where you can transfer a lot of those things, especially if there's agreements with GEs, but, you know, specific graduate programs. I mean, yeah, you got to find a place that's, you know, really accepting, (laughs) you know, that says, yeah, we'll take this or whatever, man. But, oh, man, my gosh. Um, So, and... Yeah. Uh, what about so this? Were you involved in with this um, this protest that happened at baccalaureate, or did you know about it, or how did that how did that come come to fruition? So that came about um, on that came about through a conversation that I had uh, that several students were involved in on Monday last Monday with Dr. Mark Laberton and senior level administration. Um, there was a meeting between Black students and the senior level admin talk about the issues we were dealing with and what we were going through. And I was asked to, you know, share a statement along with other students who were distance learners and some faculty members uh, who were on their way out. And everyone did an excellent job, if you could even say that, reliving their trauma um, without getting you know, too emotional and, and too in our feelings because we really could have. We really could have said, you know what, F this. We just need you to do something because we're tired of regurgitating our trauma for you. Um, but everyone showed up to the meeting and, I mean, did, did our part. And we were met at the final, you know, moments of the meeting. We were met with such a tone-deaf response from Dr. Laberton. He, you know, students are actually pouring out their hearts and professors as well, telling you what they suffered. And he pulled out a pre-written letter or whatever he had and started to read from it. And I said, this is just a tone deaf response to people who sat in your face and told you their trauma. And after that, I remember getting on Facebook and I wrote something um, the, the, the next day I was told that there was something called a toxic fuller hashtag and seminary while black hashtag and black exodus hashtags. Yeah. And they said, you know, just talk about it. So I got on Twitter. I said, Oh, this, these are hashtags. Well, let's go. And I think I have about 54 tweets, um, just dealing with, <laughs> 
dealing with, all, and they're not in chronological order, but dealing with the trauma that I dealt with at Fuller, you know, with the curriculum, with professors, um, and with both incidents that I went through, uh, Dr. Johnston, who's in school of theology, saying nigger in class, in the class. Um, That's I, right. I yeah. That. Yeah. I wrote about, yeah, and I, cause I told you, and I said, I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe he would just let, let it so effortlessly, effortlessly slip off his tongue. And I said, that means he uses it. Like for him to just blurt out nigger in class, in the class and say, well, I was using it to describe or repeat, you know, something. And, you know, Don Cheeto and Oprah had a conversation. And I said, well, everybody in that conversation was black. Right. Like, you have no place saying that word. Well, I'm a red man. I said, what is a red man? Are you trying to say you're an indigenous person? Like, that, that even that is a racial slur. You can't. I don't know what you're trying to do here. So I, I wrote about each incident in, in, in depth and uh, used the hashtags for that and found out other students were getting involved as well. And I think it was by Wednesday, I was told that something was going to happen, that camp, something was brewing on campus and people were ready for, for something, some type of demonstration, some type of prophetic action. and. Friday or Thursday, I was told there's a protest happening at Baccalaureate. You know, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Keep it very confidential. Don't tell anyone else about it. So Friday, I, like most alum who knew or most distance learner students who knew, tuned in on Facebook Live to see what was going down. And I saw the students, you know, with their toxic fuller, you know, uh, uh, signs. And I saw a student, one student had an IV and I saw the surgical mask. And I said, this is an awesome demonstration of how we have been suffocated yeah. by this institution. Yeah. And we have been unable to breathe. Like, we should have wore I Can't Breathe shirts from Eric Garner. We should have worn that on campus because that's what it feels like to be a student, a black wow. student at Fuller. Wow. And it was such a prophetic demonstration to where students were able to, to show exactly how they felt. Um, and I believe Dr. Uh, Dr. Martinez, I believe that's his name, I'm unsure. He also was uh, participating in the, uh, in the protest during his uh, baccalaureate speech. And once again, uh, Dr. Laberton, you know, he, he, he is a pastor. So he can be very pastoral with his words and he can put flowery words together and flowery sentences together to make you feel like, oh, something will happen, something will change. But if you've been on the receiving end of this for so long, you know that his, it's just words, but it's not movement. It's not action. So a student um, who I said got filled with the Holy Spirit um, got on stage and called attention to, no, this is not, we're not going to let you continue to treat us this way. We are not going to mm. let you continue mm. to go in this, in this way that you treated black students and other students of color. You have continued to make this place toxic for us. And she called attention to it. Her name is Esperanza um, or Esperanza. She's Afro-Latino, I believe. And she, 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 she laid it down. She laid down the gauntlet. And I said, sis, walk in it. Walk in your prophetic ability. Walk in your prophetic anointing because that is what this institution needs. Right. And I know now I know a lot of students and uh, uh, students that were there at Baccalaureate whose families were there did not um, pretty much receive the protest too well. But I said, I mean, happened after years of mistreatment and years of injustice, 
you think we're going to gather and, and sing a song that makes you feel comfortable and that's going to be our way of protesting demonstration? No. We have to shape this campus prophetically by the power of the Holy Spirit so these people can see, no, you have mistreated us far too long and the day of reckoning is coming. God's judgment is coming upon you. So you need to get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit move out this campus and let us be included and inclusive in this space. So I, I was di- indirectly and directly a part of it. I wasn't at the protest in, yeah. in, in body, but I was the protest in spirit. Yeah. And I, I, was, I was down for all of it, every last moment of it. I was down for it. What, um, as a result of that, I mean, have you experienced any like white splaining or, you know, kind of this progressive white liberalism, you know, that, uh, all of the ancestors <laughs> have, have warned us about, um, have you experienced any of that, that, uh, you know, that pushback? Um, I've received pushback, but it's only been online and through Facebook. Um, the one person that is pushing back against me is a Fuller alum, and he, I don't even believe he identifies as white. He, he's a non-black person of color. Um, but he has, you know, been accustomed and assimilated to this white evangelical space where he believes that this was just wrong. It wasn't an act of the Holy Spirit. You were guys were actually acting out of a, a demonic spirit and being overzealous. And so he has confronted uh, different people who were at the protests online oh, or Lord. in person and said, you know, this is wrong. Um, so thankfully I'm not present with him to try to confront me in person, but you know, I can turn my notifications off. I can, I can deal with it. I can say, you know what? I'm not dealing with you at this moment. You take your final word. You believe that's the answer that you want. Right. Um, but I'm not dealing with it. And thankfully, because I have that barrier between myself and many of the white faculty and staff who I know disagree with what happened, I have a barrier and distance so they can't, access me and can't call me up or see me in the hallway and say, I think that was wrong, what you guys did. They just, they would have to actually write me a letter and I have the option to not read it. So I've been protected, thankfully from that, because at this point, I think I would burst and burst, meaning I would probably cuss everybody out. Right. Um, which, which I don't think would work in my benefit. I would, like, I would cuss everybody out, um, with no problem. And then tell them, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, at the end of it. Um, but it, thankfully, I have been protected, but my peers have not been. My peers who are on campus, my peers who are still there have not been protected in the way that I've been. So I'm, I'm continuously praying for them yeah. and their well-being and their safety. Um, because I don't know what white supremacy will cause somebody to do. Yeah. Um, so I'm praying for them every day to make sure that they are protected. This is, I mean, this is powerful. I mean, this, this is, I mean, just the stories and, and uh, the extremes, right? And particularly that African-American mm-hmm. women have to go through. But then you add on, you know, the Christian layer, a seminary, um, a place that, you know, you would think, I mean, what is it you posted the other day on, uh, was it one of these uh, tags? I'm trying to look at it. You said, uh, or it was mm-hmm. a picture. You re- I think, well, it was from Anastasia, but you, looks like mm-hmm. you, uh, you reposted it. I was it. tagged in it. It was tagged I, in yeah, it. I, yeah, I came here to learn. I, I know that i i don't remember what it but i i don't remember what it says exactly but i completely agree with it i know it's like i came here to learn about this but i didn't come to learn about white supremacy yeah yeah, no, along those lines. yeah no no yeah. i said i did not come to be schooled in white supremacy i came to be schooled out of it right um, exactly i'm just like man 
I just I it because it feels like, and especially with this era that we're in, that particularly white evangelical institutions are just digging their heels in even further. Um, right. I mean, in your opinion, I mean, it, dare I ask this question? Because I don't know. I mean, I'll be the first to say I'm a glasses half half empty kind of guy. Um, and you know, I get this question all the time. You know, is evangelicalism dead? And you know, am I? And you know, white evangelicalism. And my thing is. You know, I think, you know, God has the power to restore anything. I, I don't, you know, I think if God so chooses, but just from a straight cultural perspective, I think this is, you know, one of the last bursts of this mm-hmm. of this uh, cultural milieu of, you know, white evangelicalism. So, no, I don't I don't want to revive it. I don't, don't want to. I think, right. that, you know, everything has its everything has its season, right? It's like, you know, no one wants to talk about it. I mean, it's easy to talk about the birth. It's easy to talk about, you know, the teen years, middle age. But what about the death? And. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of where we're at. But what do you? How do you feel? I mean, you know, is 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 it wise then for you know African American students, Latinx students, you know, to attend these seminaries? Should we look for other places? And and that is where I'm at now um, because I do want to continue study. Um, I do want to continue in this space in academia, but I am concerned about where I'm going to go. Um, because I'm reading these seminary while black while black hashtags and realizing it's everywhere. Um, I, I saw a, a blog from a woman named Candace, Candace Bimbo, who is a, a scholar and theologian, red lip theology, and she wrote a whole blog about her exodus from Princeton. And so I'm like, where can we go at this point? And and one of my friends said, you know, how about HBCU um, seminaries? And I said, okay, you know, let's start researching HBCUs. But then I wonder, has that same culture infiltrated the spaces that are historically black, mm. um, historically black colleges? Yeah. Because it's it's one thing to to just want all black faculty, but what if they're also tainted by this mindset of white evangelicalism? What if they hold right. that dear in their hearts as well? So at this point, until I do further research, I don't know where I'm going to study but I know this, if I go to a secular institution, I know what I'm getting. Right. I know when I step on that campus as a black woman that's from an impoverished community, I know what I'm setting myself up for. I know what I'm going to encounter versus going to a white evangelical seminary. I was not prepared because you guys said you love Jesus. You guys said you loved inclusion and diversity. You guys said you were committed to reconciliation work and restorative justice come to find out that is not true, that that was a lie. Yes. Yes, man. And I mean, again, this is, man, this is just crazy. I mean, I'm glad you're really, you know, you're that close to getting done and just being done with this whole thing. Um, thoughts moving forward for your, for your own personal life and, and, and sanity. Mm. <laughs> because I'm so close to this, it's, it's only been a week out of me reliving mm, all of yeah. this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, my own sanity, I have turned off all notifications for social media. So even when someone retweets my the Twitter thread I have, even when someone comments on a post that I wrote, I don't see it. So staying away from social media right now has probably been the best thing for me um, yeah. because yeah. I don't have to relive it and I don't have to see someone's comments. Um, being in spaces where I, I can feel the presence of God as a black woman and my culture is respected and not only respected, it is enjoyed by others. That has been integral for me right now. Um, 
just going into spaces where I don't feel otherized, where I don't feel mm. like I'm the only mm. black person. Um, and I've been the only black person since I've started uh, theological studies in my undergraduate education. I was the only black woman to graduate from my theological studies department in, in 2013 in undergrad. So I've been the only for so long that I just had to take time and say, well, let me enter into a space where I'm not the other for once in my life. Um, let me enter into a space where I am welcomed and I am made to feel the presence of God. And I am told that the presence of God is, is housed in me and housed in my work. And I am enough instead of constantly trying to prove I am enough to professors who automatically wrote me off when I walked through the door. So that has been a part of my healing. Um, also having in-depth conversations with friends, um, going to counseling, seeking out counseling. Um, those are those are steps moving forward um, to help me find some sense of normalcy um, with this. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's powerful. I mean, I'm serious. I'm just I'm just kind of like, whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, this and this is this this is just it's insane. You know, it, as people always say, oh, it shouldn't happen. But it's just like, man, but this these are the experiences. These are. Right. These right. these are the stories. These are the things that, you know, can happen. And and I'm glad I'm glad you're doing the, the self-care part because it is it is it's traumatizing. Mm -hmm. It is depressing. And like you said, it's anxious. I mean, and I'm, I'm I was diagnosed with PTSD myself and having, you know, right. to deal with, you know, aspects of depression and anxiety disorder. So stuff like this is like, oh, my gosh, just. Yeah. Right. right. And it, it rehashes. um Rehashes old trauma all over again. I, I remember when I found out that the other student who confronted me in the classroom was a sniper and dealing with that memory of me jumping up every time something hit my window, every time a rock hit my window or something hit my roof, I would jump violently out of my sleep I, because yeah. I thought yeah. he was coming to get me. Absolutely. And reliving that this past week has been, it has messed up my sleep. Like I, I haven't been able to sleep. Because it's like reliving that this thought of this person coming to get you or you're, this person is after you because they feel that you've wronged them in some way when they're the one who wronged you. So it, it has been me trying to find a, a balance and trying to find an area where I can be safe mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And honestly, I have to, to thank the Black women in my life because they have gone above and beyond in helping me um, when they when they really don't have to. Uh, Dr. Love Seacrest um, from Fuller, she's on her way to another seminary. Um, Latina Williams, my former advisor, Janelle Austin, uh, my mom, and all all the black women in my life have just been a part of Dom. Find healing, find wholeness, take a break, step back when you need to. So they have they have been the voices constantly reminding me that this is not your fight alone. You don't have to shoulder this burden alone. Yeah, that's that, and that's good, man. I'm yes. Thank God for that community. Thank God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whew. Wow. Well, Dominique, thank you so much for sharing. I I really appreciate that. Thank you for having me. I, I appreciate being able to talk about this in a safe context in a safe space, mm. um, instead of in front of a board of people as I've done many times before. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And anything I can do. Um, if somebody wanted to reach out to you, is there a way to or just kind of like, nah, not yet? 
Um, if they want to read uh, the thread or, you know, any of the the posts that I've written about each situation, um, Dom, Dom Devereaux or Dom underscore Devereaux um, is my Twitter handle. Okay. Um, and then Dominique Robinson Coleman is my Facebook uh, account, my name on my Facebook account. Okay. Um, and that way people can see the entire thread. Now, I probably won't answer any questions at the moment, yeah. but you oh, can absolutely. see everything that has been written out. Um, so someone can understand how we've gotten to the place to say Fuller is toxic. Yes. Well, good. I will post again, for those of you listening, I'll post those in the show notes and, um, along with a few other links as well. And I'm going to try to link to that, uh, the video. I know there's some video circulating of the, of the protest at Fuller. I want to make sure that's in there as well. Um, but again, I can't thank you enough and anything I can do, anything I can use on my platform. Um, you know, I'm at your disposal. Thank you very much. And again, thank you for having me. Um, and thank you for creating an environment where I could share this again. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Follow the hashtags. Toxic Fuller. Hashtag Seminary While Black. Hashtag Black Exodus. Hashtag Toxic Fuller. Hashtag Black Exodus. Hashtag Seminary While Black. The Spirit is speaking. We and we need to listen. listen. The Spirit is speaking. We need to 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 listen. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.